Hey, profs. Welcome on in. My name's Rob Lightfoot, proud two-time alum of Rick Edelman College of Communication, class of 2000-2001. This is Beyond the Brown and Gold. I'm Jessica Kennedy. I'm the co-host here, also a two-time proud Rowan alum, class of 2008 from the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts and 2015 from the College of Education. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Beyond the Brown and Gold, a show that highlights the lives and memories of Glassboro State and Rowan University alumni. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Lightfoot and Jessica Kennedy. Jess, it's not often that we get a chance to interview an alum connected with Bananas. Not yet. Well, maybe maybe eventually, but this was the first for this us. This is the first banana interview that we've done. Banana-related mm-hmm. interview, I shouldn't say that. Yes, that's true. Do you do like you bananas? Li- <laughs> do you like bananas? I love bananas. I eat them every morning. You do? Well, actually, three days a week. You're so weird. I am. <laughs> um, I like bananas a whole lot. Um, I like banana with peanut butter. I like a banana mixed with strawberries, but a straight-on banana. It's not really my thing, unless it's a Savannah banana. The Savannah bananas are a baseball team. We we do talk about this at length in the interview. Because we do. We but need some. We needed some clarity about how. But they to do. Describe they the do bananas. entertaining pieces. It's not your typical typical baseball team. So you'll be able to hear kind of what goes on here. And you're you're like, well, who? You, I buried the lead here. Who are we talking to? We're talking to an 08 alum, Matt Grafer, who was a psych major. He was a psych major. He had a great rec center experience, which he does talk a lot about. So we were happy to connect on uh, that experience and how it impacted his current experiences hosting live events. And he's also a history teacher. He teaches high school history. So he's has multiple identities. Oh, he's he splitting balances. his time. Absolutely. Oh, banana reference. We also talk extensively about Matt's very eclectic wardrobe. Oh, yeah. So if this were a visual medium, it'd be amazing. It would be amazing. Matt, I see that you're coming to us from a closet, which is great for sound from quality. From my, my very famous wardrobe, yes, which is also the best sound quality location in my home. So it, it doubles. It's it's a good setting, and it's a good setting for, for two reasons. It's a good, colorful, colorful background. It's colorful. So for the listeners, it's, I assume they're button-ups. They look like button-ups. Um, very bold in pattern. Lots of lots of short sleeve button ups, like the whole <laughs> a lot of patterns. Yeah, I whole. think you could say a lot of a lot of a lot. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, my well, question is, I live is, in Florida, and this yeah. is my teaching wardrobe. I wear this uh, when I teach class uh, every day for the day job. So, and I do not repeat a shirt twice in the same school year. So, what? Uh, thus, the tremendous variety behind me. So, how do you track that? Like, are you keeping? Uh, I usually notes, well, or right, you just I, go I, in I hit order? the reset button now. Well, I have, uh, I usually pick a point in the closet at which anything behind it, I know I've worn. Oh, so smart. And anything in front of it, I know I have not worn. I mean, I get to reset now because we're going to go into another school year. So it's, we're, I have to kind of figure out what that'll look like for next year. But right now, it's all fair game at this point. Are there themes to the year or is it just really this? Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, there, there is a method to the madness most of the time. Um, even though, like, so like I'm a world history teacher and a psychology teacher. I, I don't exactly have a lot of psychology shirts. I do have one. <laughs> it looks like a Rorschach test pattern. Uh, so I have to pick when in the year I want to use that. But I do have things that kind of align with different historical periods because I teach world history. So like when I'm teaching the Middle Ages and I start getting into the art styles, I have a few shirts that are from like Beauty and the Beast and the Princess Bride that look like stained glass, which was so cool. something that was, 
in that time period. So that makes sense then. And when I'm teaching the Renaissance, I wear all of my Ninja Turtle t-shirt or shirts because the Ninja Turtles are named after Renaissance artists. So there is a method to the madness. And of course I've got seasonal things I've got and Halloween. I have nothing but Halloween shirts through all of October. I've got nothing but Christmas and Hanukkah type stuff for December. So, um, you know, President's Day, Lincoln's birth, like <laughs> anything like that. I have got Arbor Day. Day. Arbor Day. We've got a nice tree pattern. Everything. I do have stuff for Arbor Day. I have <laughs> Bob Ross. He's painting trees. Like, oh, I, I love Bob Ross. Whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh. So is it a wardrobe or a costume closet? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's both. It's both, to be fair. What's the genesis of all this? I don't know. Because um, I wasn't this guy my whole life I, I, at all, as a matter of fact. In fact, I had a very terrible sense of style, including while I was at Rowan University. I look back at some of the stuff I was wearing. What am I doing? It took me a long time to figure that out because now when people know me from things, they, they kind of point to my wardrobe of just being colorful and just always like kind of on point for whatever I'm doing. Uh, but I, it probably started when I was starting in entertainment as a live trivia host. And I started trying to think of ways to stand out and kind of make that look a little bit different and a little more bold and recognizable. And it started with a couple of these shirts and then it, it spiraled out of control very quickly. And then it became like this personal challenge to myself to just look as different and bold as possible all the time, which has worked out for me. So it's, uh, it's something that I think was worthwhile when it comes to uh, choosing to invest in such a ridiculous sense of presentation. When Matt was recently back on campus, he received a four under 40 award. So congratulations to you. He was fabulous. He had on a gold, was it sequin jacket? It was a black jacket with like a gold-like emblazoned lapel uh, with, with a matching uh, gold sequins tie that I had with gold, shiny gold shoes. So yeah, it had a lot going on. That's it for really sure. Downplayed the the shirt was <laughs> no, it was it, it was great. Uh, Chris and I were walking on campus, um, heading to another meeting before our awards, and we saw Matt from a mile away. <laughs> and Chris was like, "Thank goodness I didn't wear mine." <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Matt, let's go back to your poor style days, as you describe them. Let's go back to your time here. Yeah. At Rowan University, where did you grow up? How did you find your way here? I grew up in Raleigh, New Jersey. And so North Jersey, not too far out of uh, New York City, and graduated from Raleigh High School, was mostly into JROTC, didn't really do much in the way of sports while I was in high school. And I'm also the first person in my family to ever go to college. So it's not like I had any expectations or, or any help for that matter in terms of guidance of where to go, how to go, what's the process, where should I look, what does that look like? And so uh, I kind of, I guess, did what a lot of people did. I, I applied at multiple schools that are kind of local. I remember getting accepted to also Seton Hall and I forget what school it was in Philly, uh, but there were a few that, that I had applied to, but Rowan probably jumped out to me because my high school girlfriend started to go there. And so that was the impetus of my decision. I don't think I admitted that at the time, but in retrospect, uh, that's why I did it, which is not the best reason to go um, and was not really – didn't make for a good freshman year experience either for that matter just because life had changed for the two of us so much and it was just wasn't the most ideal scenario. Um, so my freshman year was not awesome, but by my sophomore year, I kind of started figuring out my own stuff and, and, and really flourished and was glad I stuck it out because there was a time where I thought I might leave because I, I didn't think I really enjoyed it. I didn't have friends of my own. Um, so it was just kind of a weird story. Like I said, not, not a, not a great story how I wound up at Rowan, but 
uh, a much better ending at when it all kind of when the dust all settled. Yeah, it all worked out for you. Did you come in as a declared psych major? I did. Uh, and I did that because I didn't know what I wanted to do uh, when I grew up. In fact, I don't think I've known what I wanted to do when I grew up until maybe a year or two ago, if I'm being honest. And it's been a long time since I graduated. I declared psych because I thought it was interesting. And I thought, at least in my mind, that that was an area of study where no matter what I did, there would be something beneficial I could have learned from it that I could use in other things, which I maintain to this day was was not a terrible call because mm-hmm. psychology is the basis of everything. When you talk about human behavior and human interaction, having an understanding of how all of that works certainly helps you in pretty much any industry that you could possibly imagine. What kinds of clubs, groups, activities did you join to help pass your time while you were here? Well, that was the, the early struggles. I, I didn't do anything at first. And, and that was the biggest mistake that I, that I really have, one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made, I think, in life was just not taking any steps forward to get involved and do anything, uh, especially what I learned from then and since then. Um, but when I was a sophomore, that's when I kind of started settling in. I made a bunch of new friends on campus who I was spent a lot of time with uh, outside of class and, and just having a, a much more pleasant social life. And from there, I, I started exercising, uh, getting a little healthier at the time, and I was always at the rec center. And so towards the end of my sophomore year, I had applied to work at the rec center, which was one of those life-changing moments and decisions. And didn't realize it at the time. I just figured, well, if I'm going to be here so much, I might as well get paid to be here and, and get involved. And that wound up being just a, a tremendously beneficial experience. Uh, it was a pretty in-depth interview process, especially as far as college students, I think, are concerned. It were two or three rounds of interviews, and it was one of the most uh, desirable positions on campus. And I wound up getting picked up for it and started my junior year uh, as a weight room supervisor. So basically, I was just yelling at people to make sure they had a towel and to wipe <laughs> their equipment and put their weights back. That's how it started. Uh, which wound up wound up kind of leading me into different career directions afterwards. So a little plug, Rowan Campus Rec is celebrating their 30-year anniversary during homecoming this year. So as you are re-engaging with the university, it's kind of perfect timing because uh, the night before, like it's October 13th, they're hosting a little something at the local brewery at Bonesaw um, to bring back all of their I former- just remembered I'm part of the rec center. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, no. yeah, you can come too. Um, but more information Kevin about George that on the website. It- yeah, I'm, I'm DJing a wedding that night, which oh. I've been booked for about, for over a year already. It's, that's the thing with, with my schedule as, as a professional live event host. Um, my weekends are typically not free, and they get booked out pretty far in advance. So I'm hoping to do more on campus soon, but being, you know, a thousand miles away and, and with the kind of schedule I run, it has been it just has been kind of challenging thus far. So, Matt, back then, were you this extrovert? Like, or was this the first entree into being an extrovert? I, I think I've always been an extrovert, uh, but I, I think I started to embrace it and understand the value of it when I was at, at the rec center, because that was very much the environment that we had. They were very much from the professional staff down. It was a very work hard, play hard atmosphere, which was cool because everybody, especially in management was very extroverted, a lot of fun. I remember our all staff meetings were a blast like way more fun than they had any business being all the time. And, and everyone who worked there, you know, it was very much a culture. Like that's why they had such an in-depth interview process was they wanted the right people. They were looking for fit. They were looking for certain personalities and certain 
uh, traits and qualities that you can't just train into people. You kind of have to have some of that. And I'd never been around people like that before. In fact, that was the first job I ever had where I realized you could like your job because my parents didn't like their jobs. I'd never seen or known anyone that liked it. I figured you just did a job and you didn't like it and, and that's it. And that you just go through that in life because you need money and maybe you get to do some fun stuff on the side. Um, but the rec center was very different. And so I was able to embrace that and start using it. I, I started getting more involved, uh, by the second semester that I got promoted to a building manager. And so I got very involved in leadership there. And in my senior year, I was planning meetings and even running my own department that we had created to kind of help me with my path towards graduate school. So then when we would do a lot of our all staff meetings and in, that we did like a kid summer camp, I was kind of handed the reins to do a lot of crazy stuff and be out in the forefront on stage in front of others. And again, not even realizing that was much of a skill at the time, but I was definitely in that department at the right time because that's what helped me recognize and develop the skills that I now use every single day. Shout out to Kevin George too. Oh, look, Kevin George. Is that the best? Is, yes. I mean, he, this is the first time he's gotten a shout out on the pod, but he is an absolutely incredible human campus partner. Um, just overall just, a great guy. Yes. I, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Kevin George. Well, I'm just be, trying to get a third listener into this show. <laughs> yeah, Kevin George, are you listening? Um, <laughs> no, he'll probably listen to this episode at least. Maybe oh, we'll that's good. That's good. At least I mean, have another should. one. At least. So you pursued graduate school after you finished up at Rowan? I did. I, uh, I went to a, a conference, I, I think early my senior year with, with rec center folks, we went to a NURSA conference, which NURSA just means NURSA now, but it was like the national intramural recreational sports association. And that's when I realized that you could pursue recreation as a career, which again, like I didn't know that was something you could do because that was then what I wanted to be when I grew up, which was pretty soon at that point. So I realized that I could get a graduate assistantship and get a master's degree paid for. And that was also kind of the standard for which you wanted to have if you were going to continue to work in campus rec. And so I started that path of trying to figure out where that would be and, and just kind of going somewhere else to learn. And so I wound up um, at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, where I got my master's degree in kinesiology. So it's, it sounds like a huge departure from my psych degree. But kinesiology was more of an umbrella graduate degree at the time. And there were multiple tracks that led to that degree. And so my track was a sport and exercise behavior track. So it was more of a sport and exercise psychology, which was just a more refined, uh, specific branch of psych than what I had done before. Plus, I took tons of classes in, in sports marketing uh, and sports management, which have come to serve me later. So then what happened post-graduate school that you decided you wanted to become the young professor. <laughs> well, I mean, your young professor there, is a there, little different. I mean, an actual professor of history. Right. It, it was, it, uh, there were a few steps that, that got me there. It, it really is not a linear path at all. Uh, as I was finishing up my graduate degree and getting ready to start looking for what my first real job would be outside of college, I, I started interviewing at, at a few different campuses uh, nationwide to kind of talk about becoming a full-time campus rec employee on a university campus. But while I was in my senior year, or sorry, my second year grad studies, I did a project on this company based in Daytona Beach, Florida, that ran the high school JROTC championships that I used to compete at when I was in high school. Because I was, I was ranked second in the country as a JROTC commander. 
And so it was a big deal. We would, we would go from Rahway, New Jersey on a bus all the way to Daytona Beach, Florida. And that was where our national championships were every year. And so I took home the second place trophy. And it's this huge event that's been going on forever. It's been going on, I think, for about 40 years now. So it's got a longstanding history. And this is the championship amongst Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine Corps. And so I did this project on the, the company while I was in grad school. And we had a really good rapport and they offered me a job out of college. And so I wound up taking that job and working for this small private event management company, working with youth football and high school general TC. And I did that for about a year. Uh, and it just w- didn't feel like the right fit to me. And life circumstances had changed. And so I pivoted. I wanted to get back into higher education because that was where I wanted to be. So I took a, a position in admissions which was horrible uh, because it wasn't like admissions for the way that you would have it for a traditional university like Rowan. I I worked at a career oriented school. So it was a lot more like a sales job. So it was like phone calls every day. You're hustling. You're trying to get people. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not like students graduating. Not here at Rowan, just to be clear. It wasn't, wasn't the interview at Rowan, but I interviewed at a school like that. It was good cover. Good cover. You know, it wasn't, it was at a school in Philly and it was, I, when I got out of the interview, I was like, wait a minute. That's like a sale. Why is this a sales job? I felt, through, yeah. yeah, there were numbers you had to, and I'm, listen, I'm sure there's admissions yeah. numbers, but Every it, was, it yeah. was, it was all the, all the penalties of a sales job and none mm. of the rewards. <laughs> yeah, the you weren't getting any money. Like yeah, yeah. Any of that. Mm. yeah. You could, you could only be punished if you didn't hit your stuff. So, but it was something that I, I wanted to do at the time. And plus I found out I was going to be a father at the time. So I really needed stability. I was looking for something that uh, would kind of anchor me. And the job was terrible, but I was going to do it a little closer to where um, my son was. And I wound up actually at another campus and my, they saw my degree in kinesiology and they had a sports medicine and fitness technology program. They said, well, actually, we're looking for a teacher for this. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, because I hated the admissions job so much. And even though I had not taught, I had already been a spinning teacher. I had already given a commencement speech when I was in graduate school. Like I liked being in front of people. I knew I had the skill set because I was good at talking to people. And so I, I jumped at the opportunity and I wound up being a college professor for seven and a half years in, in exercise science of all things. And so that was just where I, I was a 25 year old college professor. So I was a young professor. Talk to us about your mindset though at that time, because here you are, this young college professor teaching young kids. There's not big, that big of an age gap. Where, where They're are older than me, most of them, because it was, it was a lot, it was career oriented. We had a lot of, military veterans okay. uh, from guys that were in for a few years to guys that were in for 20 years. And um, I was baby faced and, and wet behind the ears and, and just trying to keep it together and sound as authoritative and knowledgeable as possible. Plus um, I was a single father and, and I had a, a really a, a custody fight on my hands that I was embraced in. And so for me, it was not a question of if I could do it, I had to do that. And, and it was good. It was, it was something that, it was a position that gave me a status that I thought was good in, in what I was facing at the time personally. And, um, and I learned a lot. I, I learned more while I had to teach than I really did in, in any of my college experience at either university because I had to. I had to become an expert in, in all of these things and stay ahead of my students. So it was a tremendous challenge. I mean, our classes also were one month long, which means I was teaching five hours a day. And this was at, from 5 to 10 p.m. at night, oh, Monday geez. through Thursday. I was teaching 20 hours a week new class every month. I didn't repeat a course for over a year. So I had to learn and develop a syllabus, a course, 
my lecture notes and put all of it together in no time. And this was, I thought by the time I got through about a year and a half, I thought my head was going to explode from just everything I had to know and do. Um, it was as challenging and grueling as any kind of teaching experience anyone has ever had. Uh, I wound up while I was teaching college, I taught a total of about 23 different college courses. And this was all before the age of 32 years old. And what so was your attire back then? Was it much more, was it much more muted <laughs> patterns? Subdued? We had a, we had a uniform. Uh, yeah. I mean, so um, I had to wear the same polo shirt every day. And, well, no and wonder why you have so many polos now. They were holding you back. Pants. Yeah, it was, uh, they were holding me down. They were, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get interesting and, and, I didn't even realize what the benefit of that was at the time. It wasn't until I, there was a gap in between the university I was at. Um, they got rid of my program. So I lost my job in the middle. And so I had to take another sales job, which I hated. And I needed extra money because my circumstances had changed. I was married. Um, my wife and I have four kids between the two of us. So uh, there was a lot of pressure still. So I needed more money, really. And, and I needed something to get me out of this office where I'm on the phone calling people all day. And so I started hosting live trivia. There was a trivia company I used to play with. I used to play uh, at Landmark on campus all the time too. I loved live trivia when I was in, in college and I did it throughout. And even when I first moved to Florida, I did it. And so now I wanted to be the host. And that was where my entertainment experience began. I started teaching again, the campus I was at, there was another campus in Jacksonville, Florida, which is an hour North of me. So I started teaching again there, but I kept the trivia experience. So I was doing both at the same time. And that kind of led me down this path that, hey, wait, entertainment is a viable option for me, and there's more that I can do with it. So were you very expressive as a kid or growing up? I was. I, I, was, I was never shy. I was always a good reader, um, and really those, that's a huge thing. Like If you can read out loud well and not sound like you're reading, that's a skill. And, and I didn't know that was a skill, and that's a skill that has served me remarkably well uh, in the last five, six years or so. But... Um, I, I don't think it was that big of a surprise for, for those that knew me, especially when I was in school. When I was in graduate school in particular, I started giving lots of crazy, wild project presentations in class, and I became kind of known for that to the point where my teachers were like, you better have something good this week because you better one-up your last <laughs> thing. Like, we're like, all oh, counting man, on you to keep us uh, entertained. Yeah, I did a history of professional wrestling once, and everybody was dressed you know, very professional shirt and tie, you know, like this is what we do for presentation. I came in, I had a sweatsuit on like, cause I was hiding what was underneath it. Cause I was wearing a, a full Hulk Hogan costume underneath. <laughs> and, um, like when I was queuing up for my project, I walked out of the room, I had somebody hit play and they played like Hulk Hogan's entrance music. And so I'm in the tights and I come storming in with the belt and like just getting at everybody's face. And I gave the entire presentation in this outfit, which, and it killed. It was it was good. It was you know because the content was there, but it was entertaining. Can and we so, get a little Hulk you know, again, Hogan uh, I was re preview here? <laughs> what you gonna do, brother? When Hulkamania runs wild on you, brother? Look at this on cue. The guy but does it. it. Fun. Guy does it on cue. Figured I'd take a shot. I, I <laughs> I've entertained over three hundred thousand people this year. I could. I better be able to do it on cue at this point. So tell us about that. You're kind of part of this huge viral sensation at this point. Tell us about it. How'd you get involved? Yeah. What's that like for you? Yeah, it's um, it's it's amazing, is what it is. So now I am the on-field host and and one of the announcers for the Savannah Bananas, and we are touring all over the country, uh, just selling out ballparks everywhere we go, and having 
the most fun that you could ever have. And not just us, but, but our fans too. And so this is my second year with the team. And it, uh, it was, it was a heck of a journey to get here just much like everything, I suppose. I mean, if, if you're listening to my story thus far, I mean, none of this has kind of come easy or settled easily. And this is no exception. You know, I, I went from hosting trivia to people telling me every week and, and the, this is where the idea came from. People would, I would finish a show and people would come up to me and say, do you work in sports? Every week I would get this or like, do you, are you a voiceover actor? Are you, and I would, no, no, I was just a, a teacher who was doing this on the side. That was all it was. But if people tell you something enough over and over, I feel like that's something you should at least acknowledge. And so at some point I finally went, well, what does that look like? How do you do that? Like I, I didn't, I didn't spend any time at Rowan radio. I didn't, I didn't go that path of broadcasting. I never studied any of it in, in my life. So what does that look like? How do you begin to do it? And, and again, a, a lover of professional wrestling, that was something that I, I've always wanted to get involved with. And so I wrote, I literally wrote it down with my wife one summer, uh, what things, goals that we had. And one of the things I wrote down and I have it framed in, and on my wall, because it's, it's as real as can be, is I wrote down, I want to become a voiceover actor and announcer, which I didn't know what that was or how. Within six months, I was doing it. Wow. And I got an opportunity to work manifest. with a local... Yeah, I, really. I mean, I didn't... I know people talk about that, and some people think it's bogus. I, I have made a lot of things real that should not be real, and I can't explain them to you other than the fact that I wanted them and worked hard and looked for opportunities, and, and there it is. And um, that was the first, I mean, not the first, but one of the major milestones was I got on as a pro wrestling ring announcer at a very small professional wrestling school that was based in Daytona Beach, Florida. It was in a mall front store. They would run shows every week. Uh, but sometimes they would have as many as 30 or 40 fans. Sometimes I was working in front of five people. <laughs> and that's from hard. there, that's hard. <laughs> I, I got on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from there, I, I got on to some other events. And I started working with the Jacksonville Sharks arena football team. I did two seasons with them and they had tremendous crowds. And so I learned a lot more about team sports and how to be a host on field there. Then was asked to work with the Daytona Tortugas a few years later, the minor league affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds. And from there, that's when I discovered the Savannah Bananas and what they were doing. Cause they were to me, the gold standard of on field entertainment and, thrilling the fans. And as a host, that's your job is to make sure the fans are having fun no matter what's going on in the field. Like we can't control what's going on between the lines. So how do we control the experience for our fans? So they want to keep coming back and having fun regardless of what the scoreboard says. And I recognized that early with the bananas. I, I read my mentor and our owner, Jesse Cole's book, and it blew me away. And all I wanted to do was learn from him and learn from them. And Savannah's only three hours from where I live. And I reached out to him on LinkedIn. He was a little more accessible a few years ago than he is now. Um, and told him I, I planned to come to a game. And my family and I, we got tickets to the one game that we could have even gone to. I managed to get tickets somehow. And I went and they actually let me do some work with them on the field. I got to wear a, a suit on the field and introduce the players and stuff. And then when they announced their tour the next year, I basically begged and pleaded. I shot this video. I hired a violinist. I created this crazy green screen uh, video of me with them on tour, just saying how much I wanted to go and learn. And they gave me an opportunity to kind of pitch some ideas. And lo and behold, they asked me to come aboard. And my role was very limited early on. And now it has grown considerably where I'm doing a whole lot. And really out in front of our fans quite a bit every single night. And we're 
50 games into this tour and it just keeps getting bigger and better and, and more fun every step of the way. So, Matt, can you describe for people that aren't familiar with the Bananas? Yeah, because I'm like, wait, you're on tour? Is it a season? Yeah, are you it, baseball it, players? That's are you what I mean. entertainers? So it is the, 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 I don't know if it's intentional, but I feel like some of the lines are blurred uh, as to what the Bananas are because they're there for entertainment. But some people question, is it a real baseball team? Is it a real game? Do they do? Could you just sort of demystify and address what the Bananas are? So the bananas, our mission statement is that fans first entertain always. And our primary goal is we make baseball fun. So I can understand why people would be confused. And we get this all the time because the closest thing that we are compared to, and understandably so, are the Harlem Globetrotters. And Harlem Globetrotters have been around for about 100 years at this point. And they are a show. They are wildly entertaining. And they're very much just entertainment. Uh, they're skilled athletes, obviously, but when you go to a Harlem Globetrotters game, you know who's going to win. Because I think the, the, I don't even know when the last time the Washington Generals have won a game. <laughs> yeah, it's the been a while. They did win one, I think. I think. There's, yeah, there's, there, are, there are a number of differences, but one of the biggest differences that you can easily point to is the fact that we are playing. We are playing for real. We are playing the game that we have invented, which is a derivation of baseball that we call banana ball. And Banana Ball has 10 rules that make it distinctly different from baseball. But these guys are all baseball players. They all played varying levels of either professional or high-level collegiate ball. We get, from time to time, we get Major League Baseball players, former Major League Baseball players to come out and play with us, uh, international talent that want to come and play with us. So it is still growing and developing. But our game is very real. We have two teams that we travel with. We travel with the bananas and with the party animals. And the party animals are still part of our organization. But the party animals want to beat the bananas. And in fact, this season, they have beaten the bananas. In fact, they have a better record than the bananas do, which is odd. But if that doesn't kind of tell people that, hey, this is not just just entertainment, I don't know what will. Because we stage a lot of things. You know, we know what's going to happen for when we're going to do certain dances the things that we don't know are how the game is going to pan out. And so what a lot of people don't realize a lot of things that we do are scripted conditionally. So like, Hey, if we score, we do this. If there's a home run, this happens. If there's someone is hit by a pitch, then this is what we're going to do here. So we have scenarios built in for how we get a lot of the content that we have and do a lot of the things that we do, but all the entertainment is programmed and designed all around it. So it is a nonstop, entertaining experience literally from the minute people get in line because for the time people get in line and wrap around the stadium we have a dj out front we've got vendors out there already they've got people with food and drinks just so people are having a good time even as they're waiting for us we start with a parade where the players and the cast members we all come out we parade and high five we've got a band out in front playing music as we walk through the entire crowd and then we do this whole big song and dance and we open the gates and everybody floods in like it's Black Friday in 1998. It's a, <laughs> it's a zoo of a scene uh, whenever we open the gates as people scramble to get seats because all the seats are first come, first served. There's no reserve seats. And so, you know, people have this very like desperate sense of like, I have to be there and I have to get the best seat. And so really we prime everyone from the minute they get there to just have fun. And then we don't let up. I mean, the entertainment starts about five, 10 minutes after the gates open. And we do it until long after the game is over. Cause as soon as the game's over, the players and the cast, we all go out front and we take pictures and sign autographs for another like 45 minutes until we finally pack it up and go back inside. Now, Jess, have so, you, have you seen these? I've seen some videos. Yes. 
I need to know how much you're dancing. Are you dancing on the sidelines? You just I am, <laughs> and I mean, I am. I am not a, a dancer by trade, but uh, I did take ballroom dance at Rowan my senior year. I had go. like one elective credit left, and uh, you know, I'd like to say that it was it was a helpful course. It was good. So, for for folks who aren't familiar with the the bananas, there are certain parts in the the game where they'll suddenly just break out into these sometimes like fun little dance and the umpire gets in on it too. So it's like the whole thing. Who is, chore- oh, yeah. who is choreographing these pieces and how do they have time to learn these pieces? It, it depends. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's wildly impressive because these guys have to worry about good baseball too. Right. And they have to memorize all these situations and scenarios and dances depending on who's involved with what. Uh, but a lot of it is scripted out uh, with our dancing first base coach, uh, Maceo, Maceo Harrison, who he is the every night we do a player dance. And every night it is a different player dance. So he gets he gets the players and he choreographs all their moves and they do it. It's usually six to eight players that do that. But then you've got things like the things that you typically will see on TikTok or Instagram. Those are mapped out by our entertainment team. And they will kind of pick out a TikTok trend, which usually has a dance built in. And so usually it's the, the pitcher, the second baseman, the shortstop, and the center fielder are all in sync on this dance and it transitions into a pitch, but the catcher's usually dancing and our umpire, he's usually shaking it too. And sometimes we throw in some other elements just to make it more visually interesting. Uh, Cause it's all, it all has to fit in that shot where yes. we've got everybody kind of lined up. So it, it does that, but it's become what we're known for. And so that's how we do it. So they practice it. We usually, we get to the ballpark typically around noon with everybody and we start rehearsals at one o'clock right after lunch. So they rehearse all the entertainment elements and then they take batting practice and, and fielding and all that before we open the gates and start having some fun. So you have multiple identities, dad, professor, actual professor. You're still doing that full time, right? Or Well, I'm still, I'm a high school teacher now. So okay. I, I teach high school. So it's, but I'm still professing. So I, I guess it's professing. Use it. It's, Use it's the trademark. You already got the trademark. Use it. And you have mentioned you have four children of your own. So you're busy fella. You have, you're traveling, you have a lot going on. How do you manage it all? Very carefully. And, and I'd like to tell you, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately because I, I hear others talk about it. Uh, I heard uh, when you guys interviewed John Savak, I heard him talk about it, about missing things because you're always on the road. That's true. I mean, that's, that's what this life looks like to, to kind of do what I want to do and create the life here for everyone that I want to create. There's sacrifice that's involved. And so the, the biggest thing that I try to do is, is be as present and, and do as much I can where I am at whatever time. So when I'm in banana land, I'm hardcore, the host, the chief potassium enthusiast that is out there doing as much as I can for our fans. When I'm home, uh, I do my absolute best to be the best husband and dad that I can be. When I'm in the classroom, I do my best to be the best teacher that I can be. Cause that's really all I can do. And that's really all there is to it. And, and I don't always get it right. It's not always easy. I'm frequently exhausted. Uh, most of this runs on high amounts of caffeine. I was going to say, because of where I'm at. you've got to be, you've got to be on something because the fact that <laughs> nobody no, like high on life, you can be high on life, right? You're right. It, it, it comes in a can, man. And yeah. I usually drink like bang or rain, like typically two a day, one in the morning to get me going. And when I start hitting that kind of wall around three o'clock, four o'clock, you just go again. And that, that, that gets me through till 11 or 12 o'clock when we wrap up everything. And because you like always are every day of my life. Is you're always on that. Early like to you're, late. you're always yeah. on. Yeah, like always. That's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Like that's that the hard part. For like, do that. I couldn't do that. I, I, I'm just like, I go home. I talk to no one. It's exactly. great. <laughs> I know animals. I've got no plants that need attention. I can just teach. 
I can just sit in the couch and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Are you doing that? Yeah, I've, I've do, got you, to do you be have, high energy all the time. Do you have time, though, to yourself? Like, what's Matt time look like? There's none. I don't. It's usually in on the drives, and it's usually uh, or on a plane, and that's that's kind of it. But I'm I'm okay with it because I'll be honest with you. Like summer started for me, like I guess it started a month ago. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it started a month ago because we got done with school um, early June. I've had maybe four or five days home, and I've like yesterday I had nothing to do, and I didn't know what to do with myself, and it, it feels weird just wait, I can sleep. I can rest. Like, what do you mean? Like, shouldn't I be working on something? Shouldn't I be doing something? Like I'm, I'm writing a book right now on how to be a professional live event host. Cause there's no books for anyone on how to do the things that I do. And yet there are thousands of people that do it to varying degrees of success. So like, there's always projects that I'm working on, but there's, there's not much time to myself, but you, I, I don't say that for pity. Cause I, I'm okay with it. I don't, I don't mind not having time to myself because I don't know what to do with it. It's not like I do anything that serves me, you know, when that happens. I feel aimless. If anything, I'll, I, this morning I, I ran two and a half miles outside, and, and that was good, and that felt, you know, that felt good. Now I'm, I'm doing a show with you guys. I'm doing another show later today. Like, these are things that kind of give me joy, but they're very much linked to my, my persona and, and the work that I do. But that's what I love, so I'm, I'm very okay with, with where I'm at with that. So speaking of things, you said you do things that bring you joy – You've recently started to try to get back engaged with the university. What what kind of started your interest in returning to Rowan and returning to your roots and trying to get back involved? Well, I'm I'm trying to figure out where things are going for me next. Um, you know, I, I don't see myself in the classroom for much longer. Uh, that's not where I envision things going. I imagine myself more in entertainment, but also, you know, in, in writing this book, I'd like to do more speaking. Uh, I'd like to do more educating. And so when you think about education, you go back to, I guess, your roots and where you started from. And I think I was just really waiting for the right opportunity. You know, my kids are a little older now. I've got a little more awareness. And I got reached out to late last year, 2022, by Dr. Angeloni and members of his lab group, which I was one of the founding student members of that lab group. And so what they asked if any alumni would want to come and at least virtually do some kind of talk with current students and just talk about their experience and, and how what they did helped them or didn't help them or, or whatever the case may be to just kind of uh, relate with students and kind of reconnect. And so I jumped at that opportunity and had a lot of fun doing it. And then uh, more people from Rowan, just as circumstances would have and kind of reached out to me to ask if I'd be interested in getting more involved. And I am. And so I'm not sure what that will look like moving forward, but I feel like I'm putting the right kind of energy and making the connections now where that's possible, especially with live events. I know the university does things, you know, in my mind, I feel like I'd be an ideal candidate to help host some events on campus when it makes sense for my schedule and the universities. I think there's a lot of room to have that there to kind of amp up the fun and and give back to the place where I kind of started learning where fun is valuable in the first place. So Matt, you have a book next on, on your radar and in an ideal world, when are we thinking that might come out? We want to help promote that when, when you're done with that project as well. 
in the 10 minutes of time you have I'm per still, day? I'm still in a relatively early process. I have finished my first draft of it, and I don't hate it, so that's good. Uh, but there's quite a bit of work to be done. But I realistically don't envision it being out and available until maybe halfway through next year, maybe a little bit earlier than that. So 2024 is, is when, you know, in my mind that that's going to come to fruition. Can you give us a little taste <laughs> of what we could expect at a Savannah Bananas game from you? It is legitimately the most fun that you would ever have. Um, and I don't just say that because they pay me to say that. I say that because I, I believe it. And I believe it because I went as a fan first. I took my family about two years ago. And at that point, I had already been a live event host. I'd already hosted close to a thousand events. They've been to everything. They've seen everything. And I just remember how much fun my kids and my wife had that night. I've never seen them all collectively have that much fun at anything we've ever done before or since. And, and that was when we were still playing regular baseball with just bananas and sticks around it. Now the game is even better. Now the experience is even better for our fans. And so that's really one of the most rewarding things for me every single night. I love when I see a family come out and I can tell it's the first time they've ever come. And I kind of just look at the dad and I know that he probably him and the mom probably feel like, gosh, this was the most fun thing we could have ever done for our family. And so I really love being able to contribute to creating that kind of experience for people. So if by somehow people can get tickets to go, cause that's the thing we are sold out everywhere. In fact, we have a waiting list that is about 700,000 people for people wow. that just want to hope to get tickets at this point. Um, but if you can go, if you can make it, you will be glad that you did because it is an experience that is really incomparable. I don't know that there's any other entertainment venue out there in anything that is close. And, and I say that confidently because a lot of people, I have met people in NASCAR, major league baseball, the NFL, um, WWE, they have all come to the shows. I've spoken with all of them and they all walk out and they go, I've, I've never experienced anything like that in my entire life. And these are the highest levels of these professional multi-million dollar sports saying this. So um, it's really special to be a part of. And, and I just hope as we continue to bring it to more and more people out throughout the world that everybody gets a chance to go because you'll be glad that you did. You'll have a blast. Well, Matt is just so much fun. We were so excited that he was one of the recipients of the 2023 for under 40 awards, which is one of the newer awards that the alumni association has been honoring so it was just great to reconnect with him when he was back on campus this past spring. And how about all his sort of entertainment? I mean, he admitted being an extrovert to begin with. Yes. But he does credit some of sort of his, the genesis of some of this being the rec center here on campus and Absolutely. his time there. So that, that's very cool. We are going to be celebrating the 30th anniversary of the rec center. So we have 30 years of alums that have had that really unique experience. And that is a very tight knit group of alums that keep in touch with each other. So I think that that's a very unique college experience that Rowan has to offer for, for students that tracks long-term. Yeah. And it's helped Matt in his career and he's doing great things with his venom. he's got a book coming out. Yeah. We're thinking 2024, mid 2024. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled for Matt Grafer. You've been listening to Beyond the Brown and Gold on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You can find more episodes on your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Beyond the Brown and Gold or Rowan Radio On Demand.